0: Welcome to the Into Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Byron Pace. This is episode 225, and the second part of a conversation that I had with photographer and writer Luke Oppenheimer. And as you can probably hear, I am not recording this intro from my studio. Um, I've actually taken a stroll along the street here in the sun. I'm in the suburbs of Dallas, Texas. Um, I've been at the Modern Huntsman headquarters for the last week. Uh, where I'm going to be for another two weeks before heading home um, to work on another project. Uh, Lots of exciting things coming out of the office right now. Uh, We're obviously having conversations with writers and photographers and planning stories for the volumes for this year, Uh, some film projects that we're going to be starting and some that we're going to be completing in 2023. Uh, And very excitingly, We have a film premiere, which is gonna be on the 23rd of this month in Austin, Texas. There are still tickets available. The link to book those tickets are in the description for the show. Or if you wanna head over to the Modern Huntsman Instagram, uh, you can just click the link in bio and you can find the Eventbrite uh, booking link and get your tickets that way too. The film is all about Austin Alvarado, who is an amazing cinematographer. He's worked on films such as River and the Wall and Deep in the Heart. And it's about his connection with nature, but particularly his connection with black bears in the Big Bend region. We had an incredible creative team to put the whole project together, uh, including the director, Natalie Ray, who's been on this podcast before, um, executive producer, uh, Tyler Sharp, and I was the cinematographer along with Colin Arisman. Uh, and then there was a whole host of other people that helped made it happen too, along with presenting partners, including Swarovski Optic, Lone Star Beer, and Kingland and Water. I know I am a little late bringing this episode to everybody. I have been working on a number of other projects, including trying to wrap up my first big feature documentary, Paid in Blood, which you've heard me mention on this show before. I had to fly back out to Namibia to go and do some pickups for that. If you don't know what i'm talking about head over to byronpace.com and click films and paid in blood and you can watch the trailer for that you can also support the film i'm still looking for post-production support to help bring that uh, to the big screens Um, but i've also been working on two uh, really more integrated and highly produced podcast series a bit like the series that we did with the cabela family foundation in mozambique Um, I guess it was probably 18 months ago now if you haven't heard that go back and search for from the field that's what we called that series it was a three-part series so I'm currently working on one which I'm hoping will wrap in late May and release maybe June late June into July on the uplands in the UK Um, and it's going to be a five to six part series looking at the changing uplands everything from muir burn to the the deer problem or or perceived deer problem um, to peatlands specifically and carbon sequestration. It's a very, very involved podcast. I've already done a heap of interviews for it. Uh, A friend of mine, Davy Shanks, is helping me produce it because it's such a big undertaking Uh, and I can't wait to bring that to everybody. It's the kind of show that I really want to make something that is really great journalism where you hear lots of people's voices and lots of opinions and we basically just truth seek and let the science speak. So that's what I've been up to. Um, The last thing to do before we jump back into this conversation with Luke is to give a shout out to this week's Patreon supporters who include Richard McNeil, Ronnie Speakman of RD Contracting, James Marchington, the guys at South Asia Stalking, Dick Ekstrom and Mark Sbrodsky and Leslie Cumming. Thank you so much for your support Uh, and everybody who supports on Patreon, you really do help make this show possible. If you would like to support this show, um, and the upcoming, more highly produced episodes, head over to patreon.com forward slash I was like, oh, this is dangerous. This is real. This is the real shit.
1: This yeah. is it. You this know, like I want to be looking a- for
0: real stories about real people. Yeah, this is it. Doing things that people don't, that the world doesn't know about. Exactly. And that, <laughs> it's a dangerous addiction. <laughs> yeah. Because I can relate to this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. But it's a healthier addiction than heroin it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i um
1: yeah let's see like uh on the third day of being back uh i got on a bus and i was on this miserable you know like a uh, nine-hour bus ride up up to a town ramon picked me up in his truck drove to the rainforest reserve and i ended up uh staying with him and his uh his group of uh park rangers for about a month about a month like three and a half weeks I, I didn't realize
0: you were quite there that long yeah i was
1: there for a long time yeah and i had no idea what i was doing at all um
0: well, were you sh- were you shooting on digital then i
1: was shooting on digital i was yeah. shooting on a little digital olympus as uh oh, six, wow. 16 megapixels yeah and i had a tiny little voice recorder i don't even know what brand it was you know i just got like budget stuff yeah. And uh, put together a Frankenstein project mm-hmm. of like stills and video. Which and I watched last night. Which you lo- watched yeah. last night. You know how bad it is. And uh, But that- it's
0: like, <laughs> I mean, you had like budget gear. Mm-hmm. But that project, which is actually on YouTube. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> it just shows you, as we know, and as most storytellers know, like story is key. Yeah. Like if you have a gripping story and something that's, you're just like, holy shit. That's really what carries people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, story is central. Uh, it's key. And good audio. Good audio, <laughs> which I didn't really have. But so. it, worked, it worked. It did work though. It worked. It did work. Yeah. yeah you can hear people. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, so I, I, shot that project. We went on patrols, uh, you know, nonstop for, yeah, about three weeks, a little over three weeks. Uh,
0: did you get into any contacts? Did you arrest any people?
1: No, unfortunately I wasn't there for any arrest, but we did find a, uh, a big weed plantation that was about two hectares. Wow. Massive.
0: you get high for a long time on that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and uh, they ended up coming back and burning it down.
0: Oh, uh, I was, I was going to ask you, what did they do with it? Yeah,
1: and they had already burnt it down once. Uh. And so when we were coming up to this weed plantation, they'd already, they knew that it was there and they expected that we might run into people. And uh, so that was very tense, you know, us going into this clearing that's completely planted in weed because they're telling me like, hey, you know, we burnt this whole thing down, uh, you know, several months ago, uh, but it may have been reactivated. You know, they may have uh, replanted it and everything, and they had. And so they were worried about booby traps. You know, they were worried
0: about... Do you have any body armor uh, or anything?
1: No, no. Smart. No. I didn't have any body armor um just uh just camo. We we're all camoed <laughs> up. We're all camoed yeah, up. that'll bounce the bullet. Yeah, so uh it was, it was pretty vulnerable. Um and so like yeah, we we go out into this this field and everybody's really on edge and uh, they survey the whole area. There's nobody around and uh they ended up coming back several weeks later and burning that down. Um yeah, so that 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 was one experience we had. Uh, the 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 scariest experience um, was we were driving from one ranger station uh, to a second ranger station, and as I recall, it was about a four hour drive because we have to drive around the perimeter of the rainforest reserve. And everybody was really hungry, and mind you, in this area of rural Paraguay, you know many people are involved in that drug trade and you don't know whether or not somebody is like they look like anybody else mm-hmm. these small gangs that are like you know uh, either from brazil or they're from paraguay across the border it's super porous and they're all over and they're in these small villages and uh, so we're really hungry we're driving you know to the second ranger station and uh, coming up on this small village and one of the guys in the car says, oh, there's this lady. She has a house, and she cooks empanadas there. And they're not like Mexican empanadas. It's different. Um, but these little, like, meat pocket pie things, uh, which are delicious. And everybody's starving. And he's like, who wants to stop in this village for empanadas? And I was like, yeah, totally, I do. And Ramon, my friend, who is the leader of this little group, he's driving. He's like, I don't think it's a good idea. I really don't think it's a good idea. I just don't think, uh, I just don't feel good about it. And uh, we really need to get to the other ranger station anyways. And we have food there. We can do a barbecue. Mm-hmm. And everybody listens to Ramon. You know, I was like, okay, yeah, if he doesn't feel comfortable, I definitely don't feel comfortable. Yeah. We drive past this village, completely forget about it. Go on a patrol uh, for three days. That's actually the patrol where we end up finding the, the weed plantation uh, come back uh, to that uh, ranger station again. Then we're driving uh, back to the original main ranger station. We get back home, so it's already been like you know six days since that whole empanada temptation. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, one of the trackers comes up to me. This Guarani tracker, he's a native tracker. He comes up to me and he has a cell phone video, and he's like, uh, it's a video that somebody had sent to him on WhatsApp, and he's like, oh look. You know, Mira, he's like, Look. And is this, you know, uh, cell phone video that he has. And it's a scene of a, a, a house that has like a few plastic chairs and everything. And there's about like seven people laying dead. And they're dying. You know, they're not completely dead yet. Oh, so this is bleeding just happened to death. Whatever's happened? Yeah. So the, whoever shot this video, they were there right after it happened. <laughs> and I remember very vividly, one of the people on the ground has like black blood had black blood coming so out, out cause it liver. Hit, hit in the liver oh, yeah. or something. And it's just tons, you know, it was like seven people or so, as I recall, whole places shot up. And I was like, holy shit. Like, what is this? Where is this? And he said, this is the place we wanted to stop for the empanadas. Mm. And he said, this happened the same day. Mm. And so what had happened was supposedly one of these small gangs was there. And another gang came, knew that they were eating there. And uh, hit them. And they just Whoa. fucking killed everybody in the it restaurant. Could have easily be you guys. Could have easily been us. Because these guys are like target number one. Nobody likes them. Yeah. Nobody likes the park rangers. Because huh. they're the only real authority out there in super rural Paraguay right there. They're the, they're the cops. Jeez. Yeah. So that was a really close call, man. Yeah. And that, that really made everything feel everything uh, real. Yeah. Though also. Because like, you know, apart from that, is basically we're just going on hikes through the rainforest. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty sweet. Everybody's armed like, to the teeth.
0: You know that it's it's the threat is there, but until you actually see it like yeah. at your feet. It's yeah. difficult to for it to sink in.
1: And also, you know, it's the countryside. You're in a sparsely habitated place, it doesn't feel dangerous. Mm. You know, it's just it's remote and it's beautiful. You don't, you don't, it's not like going through, uh, you know, Tepito in like Mexico City. You look around, you're like, oh, this is rough. I should be careful here. No, it's chill. It's chill. Everybody's relaxed, you know, you don't feel like it's that dangerous. And then something like this happens, and you're like, oh, holy shit. No, this is a dangerous place. There's nobody out here to help you. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, so we almost stopped at that restaurant, and I don't know exactly when that happened in the day. Uh, but definitely could have been us. I mean, it was, it was just insane. Um, the, another experience we had, um, which wasn't, you know, terrible, but it was definitely, like, uh, heart-in-your-throat situation, was middle of the night, we were on one of our first patrols, and uh, we could hear people just barely. Out in the middle of the forest, we'd already been hiking in the forest for three days. So you're not supposed to find people. And we hear, like, you know, just muffled noises, some people talking. And it got really quiet. So we're thinking that they heard us. And we're waiting, um, you know, maybe 30 yards away from them. Very dense vegetation.
0: So 30 you- yards?
1: Yeah. Oh, that close? That close. Oh, shit. Yeah. and But it's super dense vegetation. You, know, so you can't even see them. You can just hear them.
0: I'm picturing, uh, in my mind right now, I have the... In platoon, when Charlie Sheen's like wiping the the shit out of his eyes as he's woken up and he's got he's the mosquitoes are biting him and he's got his face wrapped up and he's peering through all of the the green like dense 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 foliage because he can't see shit but he can hear people like rustling through the bush. That's what I've got in my mind. Just so you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: <laughs> kind of like that, yeah. <laughs> kind of like that. But yeah, middle of the night, so you just can't couldn't see shit. Um, and, uh, so they, the, you know, the guys without talking, you know, they form like a little, uh, you know, kind of half circle and just move in on this camp, guns out, guns drawn. I'm behind them. <laughs> and, uh, it was these, uh, Ache Indians, natives. Huh. And they're out there, uh, just cooking bushmeat.
0: And they must've got a fright.
1: They were scared shitless, mm. you know, because they don't know who it is. And, like, yeah, a bunch of guys in camo come out in the mm. of the woods, you know, out of the darkness with uh, shotguns pointed at you. And uh, they end up knowing, you know, knowing each other. Oh, okay. So yeah. they met before. Yeah they, yeah, they knew each other. And we had uh, Aceh trackers with us. Okay, so they were able to communicate. Yeah, so what language do they speak? Aceh, their, own, yeah. their own language. Okay. Yeah. So we had Aceh, uh which is one tribe, and then uh, Guarani, which is another massive tribe network of tribes that uh, exist in that area. Um, And yeah, they were out there just like cooking bushmeat, but man, when you know that there's all that crazy shit going on out there and you know there are narco traffickers out there, one of the park rangers had been killed the year before, you know, so you know that's out there and then you hear voices in the middle of the night. You've been hiking for three days You know, you don't expect to. You shouldn't be finding people.
0: Wow. Yeah. So you went there seeking a story. that People (laughs) need to remember, you went there seeking a story that was going to get you into photography school. Yeah. Um, But you probably went and captured a story that is beyond what most photographers in terms of like coolness and mind-blowing experience will probably ever do. Um, So when you wrapped up, Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you had what you needed to get in? So you obviously must have come home at some point, put this into a portfolio and submitted it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I really had no idea. I had nothing to to compare it to at all in my mind. I just didn't, I wasn't familiar with the world at all yeah. with the, you know, photojournalistic world. Um, I didn't know if my photos were good. I didn't know if they were shit. I was happy with them, yeah. but that meant nothing. Cause I was like, well, I don't have anything to judge them yeah. against. Um, but I got home, um, you know, back to Oklahoma and, I uh, put together this, uh, you know, multimedia, you know, video project is stills moving image and sound. Um, and, uh, when I felt like that was good, once again, had no idea, I had nobody to review it. Yeah. I was the only guy, I was the only, you know, quote unquote, photographer, photojournalist that I knew. And I wasn't <laughs> even one yet. Um, Nobody to review it, tell me if this is good or if it's shit. Uh, when I felt like it was done enough, I sent it to ICP. And I actually, I, as I recall, at the time, I did not think I would get in. I was highly doubtful that I'd get in. Um, and then much to my surprise, I like, you know, got a, a, the email from them saying that I was accepted. And I'm pretty sure that they saw the project and they are like, well... He needs <laughs> he needs, needs a lot of help. <laughs> but,
0: <laughs> but he was willing to put in a huge amount of effort yeah, to do this. Yeah, but at least he's got balls, yeah. you know?
1: <laughs> And uh I'm so sure y- <laughs> That's not true. But anyway, let's go with that. <laughs> but but then uh yeah, so I did their their one-year intensive program uh the following year, uh, 2016 uh to 2017.
0: Yeah. Okay. Learned a lot. Good yeah. experience? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a great experience. And when you came out the other side, you're now mm-hmm. you're now a photographer. You're like a born again photographer. <laughs> yeah. You've come out of the school, like so many people come out of university as like mm-hmm. studying filmmaking at university. Um, the first thing most people seem to do is go make a zombie film. I don't really know why that's a thing, <laughs> but it seems to be the thing that people do <laughs> at university film uh, film schools. Uh, how did you then pick yourself up out of the education system, as it were, mm-hmm. and go okay? Now this is going to be at least part of my life in terms of work.
1: Yeah. So I definitely felt like I was floating out in the ether. You know, all of a sudden I wasn't surrounded by other photographers. I wasn't surrounded by people who could teach me more about, you know, photojournalism or video work or still photography or any of that stuff. I was back in Oklahoma, you know, I was like, oh man, okay, what now? You know, how how do I go? I got to find another story. How do I pitch it to somebody, I don't even know any editors, I don't know anything.
0: Had you found during that journey some like very clear influences where you were saying, seeing other people's work, either historic or current, you're like, now this is, this is the kind of images I want to capture to tell stories. This is what I want to do.
1: Um, I think, um, you know, coming out of it, I would say at the time, and I think you'd probably be surprised at this, Um, you know, two of my main, uh, influences then were, uh, Alex Webb and, uh, Jonas Benningson. Those are photographers whose work I just really loved. And I was like, okay, it's like, interesting. You know, you look at, like, I, I, when I saw Alex Webb stuff, I was like, oh, interesting. Like, these are amazing photos. I don't know how to take photos like this, you know? Um, so it made me think about composition very differently more in terms of like, you know, just layers and everything. Um, and, uh, so I really, uh, <laughs> you know, I tried to do that, you know, I tried to do like, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to take images like that until I come up with my own style. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm still not sure I've come up with my own style. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, let's see, I, I after graduating from ICP, um, I had a job with uh, the, with, oh man, what was it? Amazon Aid Foundation. It's a small foundation that works uh, in Peru. Um, I had met this lady in New York who was running it, and she wanted me to go and uh, do a bit of reportage and, you know, kind of promotional stuff um, for uh, their projects that were going on in the uh, Amazon basin. In Peru, so I went to uh, Puerto Maldonado, which is like a small port town on the Amazon River. It's on a tributary of the Amazon, and um, met up with her her team there. And basically, what they were doing was um, she had a group of agro scientists who were trying to rehabilitate landscape in the Amazon that had been denuded by gold mining. But small-scale gold mining. Okay. So, with the, you know, what they call artisanal, yeah. quote-unquote, artisanal gold mining.
0: Largest source of mercury in the ocean, believe it or not.
1: Yeah. So, a lot of mercury in the soil. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. And they, they were using uh, things like biochar um, and planting, uh, you know, doing polycropping of native species, uh, particular native species, to pull these heavy metals out of the ground.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting. Okay. And I was actually, you know, familiar to some extent with what they were doing because I had had actually a background in uh, sustainable ag before um, before I even did the the shipping business.
0: Multifaceted human. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I'm I'm interested in a lot of shit. Um, So um, I spent three weeks uh, with them doing field visits um, and really just doing, you know, this. you know, it was, it was basically reportage for internal use of the organizations. They knew what was going on, you know, down in Paraguay. where They had small contact with their teams. They wanted to see what the progress was. And then also some of it was um, for their own promotional use. So that was like the first project I did after leaving uh, ICP. And it was really just, um, yeah, no, uh, some nonprofit work. And then I, I went back to Tanzania I shot more for uh, Main Springs Foundation, Uh, did a lot more video work, put together a much better video project for them, and I was like, okay, well, this is great. I'm getting paid to do this, Um, and it's, you know, I'm doing stories that are about solutions, and it's helping these foundations, but I want to do my own story. Like, I want to come up with my own story, go shoot it, get it published. So how do I even start in this, how I got to Kyrgyzstan? Um, my whole life, basically, I've wanted to go to Central Asia. I was fascinated by the writings of Rudyard Kipling, who, you know, was a a British writer born in Lahore, India in, uh, I want to say 1870s, 1880s. And he wrote all of these epic stories and poems about, you know, the great game about the the British Empire versus the Tsarist Empire uh, for you know control of like Central Asia and Afghanistan, he wrote a great book. It's called The Man Who Would Be King, which takes place in uh, northeastern Afghanistan hmm. during um, I think about the eighteen nineties or so. So I my my dad read me read to me all of these uh, stories when I was growing up on the farm. He read me, read me these stories uh, at bedtime, and they just you know, just engrossed my, just completely stole my imagination. And so my whole life I'd been wanting to go to that part of the world because it was just so wild and so remote. And then as I got older, um, I would just read every book I could get on Central Asia. And at the time, you know, in growing up in Oklahoma in our schools, uh, our maps were the old maps. They still just said USSR. And, but I knew I was like, okay, this right here is this area, Tashkent. I know that that's in that area. Um, and then maybe in like seventh grade, eighth grade, we got new maps in our school and it had the individual republics and it blew my mind. (laughs) You know, I knew about these places, but I hadn't seen them really on a map and I didn't grow up with like a lot of internet either. You know, we had like dial up and I was hardly on it, on the farm. Like I just, I wasn't growing up around internet. And, um, So I, you know, see these new maps in school for the first time and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, Kazakhstan, uh, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Afghanistan, all these places. And uh, then, you know, I just even went further down the rabbit hole. I'd go uh, to, you know, bookstores or, you know, uh, even our school library and I'd find anything that would talk somewhat about uh, Central Asia. And I just had a burning desire to go there my whole life. And because I also like, you know, when I first started seeing uh, pictures of it, I had read about it. I had read descriptions of it about the mountains and everything and about nomads. But then when I started seeing photos of it, I had to go. I had to go. So it was always in my mind. Even when I I spent six years in, in, you know, throughout Latin America, still I was always thinking I need to get to Central Asia Eventually, I need to get there. So here I am. I'm in Oklahoma. Just got back from uh, Tanzania, which is a great time. Um, You know, extremely lucky I get to travel all these places. But I still have that burning desire to go to Central Asia. And I said, I don't know anybody there. You know, um, I was uh, particularly fixed on Kyrgyzstan because I had read a book by Colin. Uh, Turban to Tur- Turbron, who is a great English travel writer. And he wrote, um, let's see, he wrote like in the shadow of, uh, how was it? The in, into the heart of Central Asia, I believe is one of his books. Um, and he, you know, had walked from, uh, like Beijing or something to like Tashkent, something like that. And he had talked about going through Kyrgyzstan. He was explaining it in his writing and I was like, wow, that sounds, that sounds like the place I need to be. And so I started researching a lot about Kyrgyzstan. I was always fascinated by, you know, the nomads. And I said, okay, I have to get there. I have to go there. Um, I had no project lined up. um, had you know, basically no contacts in the country. I'd read one book written by a woman. And I, it was about Kyrgyzstan. And it was like a tourism book. And it was small, it was self-published, and I found it on Amazon. I bought it, I read it. I found her on Facebook. I contacted her.
0: Love this.
1: And I it's said... like hey,
0: dedication to just making yeah, shit happen. Yeah. I
1: was like, I don't know, that. there's this person, you know? Why not contact this person? That's the only Kyrgyz person I know. <laughs> I don't know him, but I know of him. Um, I contacted her and I said, hey, you know, I'm a photographer. Uh, I really want to... Uh, you know, spend time with a nomadic family in Kyrgyzstan? Um, do you have any suggestions, uh, anybody who could possibly help me out, you know, in this regard? And she did. She, she messaged me back and she put me in touch with a Slovenian expat who um, uh, picked me up from the airport when I got there. He picked me up from Bishkek Airport. You know, I'd talked to him once on, uh, on Skype, you know, before I got there. He was a super nice guy. And he uh, ended up introducing me to, uh, you know, mountain guides and mountain climbers and stuff. And that's eventually how I met Ruslan, who is my fixer to this day.
0: I love people connections. Yeah. It's it's just, it's so good that we still exist in a world where people are willing to do things for other humans mm-hmm. whom they barely know.
1: Yeah. No, it's, uh, I feel just so fortunate when I meet people who can help me, who, who are, you know, agree to help me even though they don't know me. Uh, so I try and keep that in mind whenever somebody approaches me. Yeah. And you know, yeah. I don't know them. I try and do the same. Yeah. yeah. yeah and I'm
0: because like, I couldn't do most of the things I do if I didn't, if it wasn't for very generous people who yeah. have very kind hearts, who had helped in whatever country it is. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, tr- try and embed that in when I'm in a place when I'm in my home and I can return some of that to do it yeah hopefully there's some in the cosmos there's (laughs) some balance of this somewhere I
1: believe there definitely is I think there is Um, yeah so I was in Kyrgyzstan then for three months at that time Uh, the first two months I studied Russian and I studied Kyrgyz um, and then on, and I, was, I was trying to find a nomadic family that would let me stay with them. And I was in Bishkek this whole time. And it was winter. I got there in February. Mm-hmm. I have a tendency to go... When it's cold. To Kyrgyzstan when it's absolutely miserable, when it's freezing. And so most of Kyrgyzstan is... Uh, a lot of it, I wouldn't say most of it, but a lot of it is shut off during winter because uh, roads are impassable. And so where these uh, nomads were that I was interested in uh, visiting... They weren't reachable at the time. I met Ruslan. So they're
0: just stuck out there. They're just stuck thing. out
1: there. Yeah, they're in the, you know they're either they're like in their village or they're up in the mountains. And uh, so I met Ruslan, and he said, "Look, um, I know of a family. I've talked to them. They're willing to take you in, but we can't get there right now. So we got to wait like a, a month or two, and then you'll be able to go see them." So I did. I waited. And you guys
0: hung out there, just like learning the language.
1: Yeah. While you wait for the roads to open <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> <hell>? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Exactly. Yeah.
0: You are yeah. going to write a book someday. Right? <laughs> I would love to. Yeah.
1: I, I need more. I need more material. We I always want more. Book, yeah. But, um, so I ended up, you know, I, the, the agreement with this nomadic family was that I would help them with their, uh, with the labor. Yeah. You know, and they'd feed me and allow me to stick around and take photos. And I, I lived with them for a month. So it was, Uh, at one, at one point it was nine of us in a yurt up in the, uh, uh, Songkul area. So it's a big alpine lake. Um, we moved to, uh, you know, first I I went to their village, um, which is called Akia, a tiny village. Can't even find on Google maps still. I checked recently. It's still not on there. And, um, you know, it's like (laughs) three dozen houses and there's like a small river going through it. I met them in the village. And they were just about to go up to the mountains to start shepherding, so they're considered semi-nomadic. Okay. So during the summer, um, they start moving their sheep up in the mountains. So I moved with them to their first year at camp. Uh, we were there, I want to say for like two weeks or something like that. Um, I spent basically those whole two weeks uh, collecting firewood with uh, the two sons in the family. So it's me. Uh, I was 29, I think, at the time.
0: Clearly had no girlfriend at this point.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Terribly single, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys just, yeah. yeah. just
0: disappear. <laughs> when are you going to be back? I really don't know. <laughs> the roads are blocked. I'm going to be here for at least two months before I start yeah. my project. <laughs> when are you going to be back? I don't know, and but i am going to firewood from Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I won't be able to speak to you because there's no signal. Do you yeah. have... Um, are you shooting on film at this point? No, no, I
1: don't think I. No, I, I had, had very limited experience with film at the time. I had a uh, a Yashica D, which is a uh, you know, TLR top lens. Was it was a top lens reflex, I think is what it's called. Yeah, through the through the top, you know, just like a Rolleiflex. I had one of those, and it broke in in Peru. <laughs> um, but no, I was shooting on uh, the Sony A seven R three. Oh, okay. Yeah. At least I had a real digital camera yeah, now. Yeah,
0: yeah. How did that experience inform your mindset about what you wanted to do going forward? As this, at that point, like quite a f- newly fledged photographer, this is who I am. I wanted more of that. I've tasted it now,
1: and I need more. I was like, I thought I would like this. I love it way more than I even thought I would.
0: And now I have a problem. It
1: is the real life is the re- is as real as it gets it's freezing at night you're working all day um and I, like I grew up on a farm you know we did work all day but it's just it's not like oklahoma man you go there and you you go back in time everything's on horses you know uh, the only vehicles are these old soviet vehicles um and there's no there's no instagram there's no facebook there's none of that bullshit
0: it's just you just so refreshing it's
1: just you and the people that you're with and that's what matters yeah and then whatever books you brought yeah Is
0: it, i mean you'll probably read them real quick
1: <laughs> oh yeah 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 i mean i the think so long i read like uh i think i read a, a, like a book a week when i was there maybe a little bit more than that i think i read five books hmm. during that month
0: that's one you way know, to
1: get through them a lot of yeah you got a lot of free time um but so okay so you know first day uh, i i get to the yurt camp and um Uh, we set everything up. They, they build the yurt and because I'm there and there's also a visiting, um, veterinarian who came to inoculate, uh, some of their sheep. They're like, oh, we got to, uh, slaughter a sheep for our guests because it's kind of like a big deal, you know, to have like two guests. Um, and it's a big honor for them, you know? And so they, they slaughtered a, a sheep. And it's very interesting because uh, they then, you know, held their palms to their faces in the, you know, Muslim, sh- uh, you know, blessing, um, but facing the setting sun. And so it was this interesting. So what's that? What? Well, that I believe it comes from Tangrenism. Okay. which is the original folk belief of, you know, the steppes. The Mongols were Tangrenists, the Kyrgyz were Tangrenists.
0: So when they pray normally, are they facing the sun? No, so... They still face Mecca? Usually, yeah, when they... when They're they not for the sacrifice.
1: Yeah, not for the sacrifice. So, like, it was a sacrifice. And, like, you don't sacrifice in Islam. Oh. Yeah. You don't sacrifice animals in so Islam. So this
0: is like a blending of exactly. belief and, systems.
1: Yeah, and that was the first night I was there, and I was like, Wow. Huh. This is fascinating, you know. And um so you know the the uh, the mom of the family, the the matriarch of the family, I think she was about 70 um and the daughter-in-law married to the uh, 29-year-old son. Um so the two women that were in this yurt camp, um they prepared the sheep, cleaned out all the entrails um, you know, scun the whole thing and uh prepared everything. And over the next two weeks, uh, we ate every part of that sheep and it was just cooked once. It was cooked on that first night. It was huh. boiled. Everything was boiled everything. Everything was boiled or steamed, no salt. Wow. nothing, nothing like that. It's just cooked once. Um and then it's kept, you know, under like uh metal lids. Yeah. Or like in big bowls kind of. Um to keep the flies off of it, and it's kept inside the yurt, and the yurt's you know never hot. The yurt keeps those yurts keep their temperature pretty well, so it's mm-hmm. warmest it might get is like you know seventy degrees or something if it's really hot outside mm-hmm. inside the yurt it's gonna be comfortable mm-hmm. and so um we ate every single part of that that sheep, and something that I still don't like. <laughs> I cannot get a taste for it. But I've had to eat it countless times is uh the it would be a piece of uh the small intestine right. that has partially digested
0: grass in it Mm-mm. I've cleaned too many too too many <laughs> too many animals to think that that can even remotely be nice so it smells like shit and it tastes like shit yeah no offense to yeah all it does the, not smell i mean I don't, lovely, I've, nev- I've no, never tried to cook it but it doesn't smell good raw I can tell you that much
1: no it's it's bad yeah. Now, it's actually
0: turning my stomach slightly thinking about it. It's rough, dude. So, I had it the first night. So, so that was just boiled, was it? Yeah. I think
1: that that was uh, like steamed and um, cut into these little, you know. (laughs) Bite-sized chunks. Bite-sized chunks. And, uh, you know, it smelt. Exactly like what you'd think it would smell like, and it tasted exactly like it smelled. Yeah, and so that was my uh, first. That was my first uh, night uh, in the yurt camp. Could have just given you eyeballs or yeah, something. and I just <laughs> want to reiterate. I don't mean any uh, offense, offense to uh, the nation of Kyrgyzstan. It's just your
0: undeveloped palate. Is my undeveloped palate.
1: Um, yeah, yeah.
0: Because the thing is, if you it's, grew up with it, I mean, it whatever. Oh, ju- I mean, we, Ru- that's just
1: we don't. Dude, my buddy Ruslan loves it. Oh, is it? Loves he laps that up. Yeah. I was asking him, I was like, dude, do you actually like that stuff? And he was like, oh, my God, Luca, I love it. It's best thing. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) stop. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Um, So I had that the first night, and I was like, well, you know, this is probably, you know, a delicacy. um, You know, and I ate the whole thing. Uh, You know, I ate it all, but you got to eat. My rule is you you eat two plates, uh, two full plates of food when you're in, you know, it doesn't matter, village, yurt camp, whatever, they're feeding you. You eat two plates, and you put a significant dent in the third plate.
0: So, oh, really? Yeah. Just to be polite. Just to be polite. But well, they want you to keep eating? Oh,
1: yeah. But you don't want to overeat. So like,
0: if you just like had one plate, and that was it, they would think? Yeah, they'd think, like, oh, he doesn't like our food.
1: Oh, right. you've you know? got to be careful. Yeah. So I my rule is, you know, eat two full plates, most of the third plate, and you're already full, you know, obviously by like the first plate, but you can't just eat one plate huh? because they don't waste the opportunity to consume extra calories. So they don't uh. understand if you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm full. That's enough. Cause they're, they're not like that.
0: Okay. Like, oh, free food. You just food. keep eating. Yeah. yeah. Like,
1: oh, free food. You know, you don't waste free food. Yeah. So you gotta we eat We can burn lot. it later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I ate that, um, that piece of the intestines and I was thinking, well, there's probably like the one time I'll have to have it cause it's like a special thing. I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. I had it every day. Every day. Every day. Yeah. Along with other stuff. Though. Along with other stuff. But even if it's a small portion, yeah. it takes so everything up. <laughs> strong, dude. It's so strong. And so I would, uh, you know, they serve you this plate. Uh, I think I would struggle. I struggled real hard. Yeah, yeah, it was rough. That was a, that's the most challenging. some part. You. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs>
0: you need to take some Tabasco. Maybe <laughs> would they take offense if you started putting your your Not, own not if it? you not
1: if you give it to them first.
0: Okay, you say, yeah. hey, check this out. Yeah. So you need to take yeah. before you leave, gonna take a big because you're gonna you're yeah. probably gonna be eating. Or you're I, different now. Was <laughs> uh, this it, more
1: because it was nomadic? More because it was nomadic. Okay. Um. So the village uh, in Öl-tuk, uh they don't really eat. That, that much. Okay. They actually are eating a lot of horse meat.
0: Thank goodness. Oh, for that. it's so good.
1: Yeah. Um, so, no, like, but yeah, there's, you know, that part. I've eaten every piece of the intestine, uh, liver, kidneys, um, eyeball, all the face meat. What about stomach? Yeah, so different parts of the stomach.
0: Yeah. Yeah. With all the, like, the feathery shit inside.
1: Yeah. 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 A lot of that.
0: But clean, I mean, clean, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. The and they,
1: they, they clean it in like boiling water. Yeah. That's how they clean it, <laughs> and uh, so the kind of sheep that they have—they're called uh, uh, cuticle sheep, and they also have other names, but they uh, call them cuticle sheep. They have a big fat deposit, like a dromedary, on their ass, hmm. and it's very pronounced for winter. Uh, I think it's it's for um, for drought. It makes them, you know. Oh, so it's actually it, for it's actually for water. Yeah, it's, it's just a big thing of you're yeah, like fat. a camel. I'm pretty sure. That's what it's for. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's like, it looks like camel hump. Weird. But it's on the butt, huh. and they had that out on the table,
0: which is the fat, deposit? just by itself, cooked.
1: Yeah, like boiled fat, fat, <clears throat> and you just like take a you know butter knife, cut yourself a big old chunk of that, <sighs> and it's so funny because at it first, is it good? Um, yeah, it's okay
0: is it it's not great yeah <laughs> you know it depends i don't really like, i'm not a big like i don't eat a lot of fat i don't think i don't like the texture i don't think it tastes particularly good and i'm not a fussy eater and i will eat it but i don't really like it if i have a choice but i have been in situations where i've been incredibly hungry mm-hmm. and kind of craved that when yeah. it's then being offered and your body is just like this is the shit i need
1: yeah yeah energy yeah dense
0: so i guess if you were really hungry all of this it kind of changes oh pace. yeah yeah
1: so, i mean yeah you go after the stuff you weren't hungry enough dense, luke that was a problem i wasn't well it was my first night there yeah. i'd been collecting firewood yet for two <laughs> weeks <laughs> This should have saved that for the for the end. end yeah um but it was funny because you know i wasn't familiar with all of this like really traditional rural kyrgyz food yet yeah. i had been in Bishkek, so we're eating like Turkish food, like Turkish food, like shashlik and stuff, which is amazing. You know, Turkish barbecue. Mm, um, yeah, I had that I turkey. it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, this is my first time eating like the real like country food. Yeah, and so I didn't know what it was. And at first, you know, I see it there and it looks like a big hunk of cheese.
0: Yeah, and so I'm yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah, okay, the well, the cheese I'm familiar <laughs> with, you know.
1: <laughs> and uh, you know, I cut myself a big old portion of that. So I'm like, well, you know, this I can manage. And man, I, I yeah, I took a bite of that and it was just gamey, fat. You know, and I was like ooh, and then I realized the shape of it, and I was like, oh, that's the ass, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But that's that that that's that fat deposit on the on the the ass of the sheep. Well, wow. yeah, and I was like, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> it seems like there needs to be a cooking show made out there. I think maybe that's what you're missing. Should be the cooking delights of yeah, Kyrgyz dining. I'll do it, yeah. <laughs> wow, what what a crazy experience. Yeah. So this is, but this is, we're still talking about your, about the nomadic. Mm-hmm. So that was, when eventually you were done with that experience, What, what did you do anything with that? Or was that I like... I did.
1: Um, I sent it into a very small publication called Eurasianet. So it's Eurasianet, and it's a, it's actually a nonprofit. profit It's Eurasianet.org, if you look them up online. And they're run out of Columbia University in New York. And they do actually mostly political reporting uh, about Russia, um, Central Asia, and the Caucasus, and Eastern Europe. It's very particular. Mostly it's political, but they also do these like cool travel things. And um, I don't know how I'd come across them before. I think when I was just researching Central Asia myself, I came across them. I was like, oh, well, they'd be, you know, uh, somebody who'd t- possibly take a story from me, and so I published it with them. Cool. Yeah, I did the writing and everything. Is it and, was it uh, in
0: print or is it online? Uh, it's online. Oh, great! So you can yeah. actually go find it. Yeah. Oh, nice.
1: Yeah, and uh, so yeah, that was the, that was the first like thing that I really published, I suppose. Yeah, i I'd, I'd done like a small travel article in Peru before that as well about markets, uh, but that was like. Yeah, the first thing I was like, all right, you know, I so, did something. I did a thing.
0: <laughs> so what was your your move over to film and why? Mm-hmm. Because as I've discovered today, this isn't just a move to film. This is also a move to film and shooting medium format. And it takes forever to take a photo, Yeah, as I discovered today. Um, I love shooting film mm-hmm. on my 35mm Nikons, which are very quick and very easy and an idiot can use, really. Um, that is not the case with the medium format? I think, um, uh, so the, the first thing that put it into my mind
1: to really explore uh, medium format photography, um, and it's funny because he's not actually a medium format photographer, but uh, Alex Soth, you know of Alex Soth? Mm. Okay. So he did, um, you know, like uh, sleeping by the Mississippi where he did this road trip um, going through the United States. And, there are all these, you know, environmental portraits of Americans of all walks of life. And he, he shoots on a a large format. I think he shoots on four by five. Um, But I, you know, saw videos of him working and how, you know, how much it it just, it takes all of your focus. Mm -hmm. And it's so, uh, you know, everything is on purpose. Everything slowed down. And, I found that, you know, fascinating. The images were beautiful. Um, you know, I, when I really got into like looking at the f- photos that were being shot on film by, you know, by him or even, you know, like uh, Jonas Bendixson as well. Um, I was like, man, you cannot get this uh, on digital. And but seeing the way he worked and seeing the, the kind of photography he was doing where it's like, OK, I'm not going to shoot like, you know, you know 500 photos in a day about this family. No, but I will spend in the next 30 minutes trying to take the best goddamn portrait I can of this one person.
0: It's totally totally different, different. mindset. Totally different.
1: And I was like, do you know what? There's something there. That's some kind of ultimate pursuit right there. You know, that's like a, it's a real Zen practice. And so, you know, of course, part of it was, you know, I wanted to um, get the same kind of like end product. Of these beautiful photos, that uh, you know took so much concentration to get, um, and that had this like really you know special aesthetic and everything, uh, but also I mean I think you know mainly I wanted to do it just for myself, for like my mind, because it, it slows everything down. You're not thinking about anything else, and you're not looking at a screen. That's a, one of the main difference. things. I hate looking at screens. Yeah. I hate digital things i hate looking at tv uh you know typically i don't own a tv uh, i hate looking at my phone i wish i could throw the damn thing away uh so even looking at digital camera like i don't want to look on digital anything i just don't i wish everything was analog still, <laughs> you know and uh you know and part of that's because you know growing up in the countryside and i'm sure you feel very similar um
0: yeah i mean i i also don't have a te- i had to bring my computer yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were we were watching something for doing well partly for research yeah uh, and uh i had to i have to bring my computer screen that i use to edit film from my office through to the lounge <laughs> so that we could watch something. Yeah, I mean, here so we are, I also uh, have. you know, in a this cabin is,
1: in yeah. Scotland, so I'm pretty sure you feel the same way. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah exactly. No, I totally get it. And like, the medium medium format from what I've learned very recently um, is like a step further than what... You basically described how I felt when I started shooting film in my 35mm, mm-hmm. except it is, you've now, this is now like a step further in terms of how it slows everything down. And the lack of... I mean, not being able to review it is exactly the same. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, you got you, to you're de- so much more deliberate. Yes. Although I was shocked to find that in my role of film I get thirty six images. In <laughs> Luke's role of film, he gets ten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you gotta make him count, man. Yeah. So we wiped out five real quick. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, you know, like the the first thing is, you know, uh, when you're shooting like this, you know, I'm I, usually I'm not I don't even take you know, I don't take a portrait of somebody um, for days. Until I find out, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, in this setting, it means this. A portrait of them would mean this, potentially, you know. Or maybe I don't want anything else behind them, no clutter, no environmental portrait, just because of how they look is so fascinating. Like, there's one of the guys in here, um, Nuruzbhai.
0: I'm picking up the the book, if anybody can hear, rustling behind. This is volume seven um, of the story that Luke's talking about.
1: um, But he... So this guy Nuruzbai in the village of Altuk in the Wolf Village, um, he had such a you know iconic like uh, special look to him. I didn't want any background at all, but it took me you know a week of being with him to realize that because I kept seeing. I was like, oh, I've been to his house. I've been to the mountains with him. Is it that dude? Is yeah, the
0: top uh top left. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. He looks like he has a lot of wisdom. He does. This is on page 98 of Volume 7 for yeah. those who are interested. And th- this, I think that's actually one of my favorite images. Yeah, that's one of my images. I love the use of black in there. Yeah. It wasn't a mistake. I'm assuming. No, no, no. You, you were like, I, this is what I want. Yeah.
1: yeah, there's small light coming in through the window. No internal lights.
0: You can just see that. It's a rifle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's his uh, off. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. No, I mean, now I can see it, but I didn't realize that's, that is the rifle. Because, I mean, yeah. it's such a distinct rifle. Like, if you know rifles, yeah. you would know a Dragon off yeah. like, But because so much of it is lost in the darkness, I didn't appreciate that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love that. So, I mean, this particular it's image, there's four people in it. and They're all looking out the window. How do you, because so much of, when you're having to be so deliberate about an image... Mm-hmm. And it takes so long to take the damn thing. It's not like you can, um, like with a digital camera or, e- or even with my thirty-five mil, you can be really quick and you can capture a moment that no one realizes that you're capturing until it's too late. Mm-hmm. And so you end up with you with this very organic um, feel if you get it right. Yeah. Yet, um, apart from the very obvious, like you know, posed portraits here, mm-hmm. um, like with well, this one in particular it feels like I'm there. Yeah. How do you balance that, like setting up, please put, you know, look a little bit further to actually getting something that feels, that that isn't overstaged all the time?
1: Uh, One of the main things is, you know, for example, in that image, um, I just finished talking to all of them for about two hours.
0: Wow. Yeah, we
1: were just talking, not talking about photography, or anything I was asking about his life. He, you know, we were talking about uh, village politics, talking about the, you know, market for wolf meat um, talking about his aspirations what he wanted to do you know all these things and just being people together um so that allows him to be so much more relaxed and I'm like hey I want to take some photos of you guys and I'm like yeah sure I'm like okay can you you know maybe sit like this so we got this light coming in um and so the whole time I'm also having this conversation I'm thinking about the photo that I might take and so they were all very comfortable with me and so you can you know, I posed them. I posed them, obviously. Yeah. You know, but they're I'm, relaxed. But they're super relaxed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Dude, it's amazing. If, if anybody hasn't seen this, well, th- I mean, this volume's a great volume. They're all great volumes. Um, but volume seven, and your story starts on page 86, The Running of the Wolves.
1: And so I'll show you another thing that's interesting about when you're taking this kind of, uh, using this kind of camera, everything's so slow. Um, so like you find, so this is, yeah, page 90 to 91, this scene with these sheep coming down and these two horses drinking from this puddle here, you know, um, I had seen this location already and I knew I wanted to take a photo of it. I waited here to take this photo for probably 20 minutes. I was standing there. Um because uh and I I took many many photos also standing there waiting for because like I had you know the form of the landscape and everything um I loved but that you're waiting for
0: the something else of interest
1: yeah for the people to fill it yeah and I knew it would happen and so this is the photo that I liked the most out of the you know two rolls or whatever that I shot standing there um because it was the perfect timing of like the horses coming down together, their heads coming together, drinking from the puddle, the sheep coming down off the hill. You have the, you know, cow there and the people up here. And so I was like, this really feels like the village. Mm. Cause other than that, it was desolate or, you know, there might be like some dog walking across as it, yeah. but, so that's a really fun thing. Um, and very meditative thing, uh, using this, any kind of camera system like that. Um, is you find these, you know, features, these landscapes, and you go there uh, when you know this is the kind of light you want, or when you think there's going to be the kind of activity you want, and you just wait, and that's like bow hunting, basically.
0: Bow hunting with camera. Yeah. 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 So why um, now that you're you're going back there? What mm-hmm. are you, what are you hoping is going to be your continuation of the story? And without giving too much away, because you're gonna write and yeah, you're gonna be able to read about this in more. It won't be the next volume because Luke's still gonna be in the mountains. Yeah, we're putting that together, but it'll probably be the volume at the end of this year. Um, so volume twelve. Wow! Wow! Twelve volumes. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's awesome. you just got your commission, Luke. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, I'm
1: in. Yeah, just Thank I you. mean, yeah, like I
0: say, without giving too much away, what yeah. do you? What are you hoping to tell or find when going back there and spending time again?
1: So, um, yeah, there are really three things. Uh, One is better information about what the wolf problem really is, what the specifics are. It is getting that data, working with the uh, Snow Leopard Foundation, which is all this data collection. So just getting really good information, specifics, which is so hard to come across um, in these kind of parts of the world. Um, as far as the, the narrative, a lot of young people are leaving these villages, and that's kind of mentioned in the end of this article that I published in Volume 7. I'm going to be uh, visiting the people who left, and they, you know, they left to go uh, work in factories in Bishkek, in Uzbekistan, uh, in Osh, so I might have to go to Uzbekistan to find some of these guys. Oh, poor you. Yeah. Yeah. Having to go to another cool place. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And seeing how different their lives
0: are, how they're coping with it. So these could be or will be people that you met in the mountains and are now left? They will be the, um, they'll
1: be the, the sons of the people that I went hunting with.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Cause I heard about them. I know that they're in these other towns working in textile factories or whatever. Um, and so they're working, you know, they're, they're in the, the modern lifestyle now. And I hear all the time about, you know, uh, for example, you know, I have friends whose siblings have gone and worked in factories in Moscow. And it's the same thing every time. They're just, they're, they're really unhappy. They're miserable, but they're doing it for the money. There's not a lot of opportunity they're Probably sending village. money home. Yeah. And it's really tough. You know, they get like, um, you know, some a year, sometimes two-year contracts. These factories, and they're away from their family, they're away from their kids, and they're away from the, they're away from, um, their own religion. Even you know, you go yeah. if you are in Moscow, you know, uh, they're not around to their uh, Muslims. Uh, There's not
0: many people <laughs> in the modern, fast-paced world is going to hang around for you f- for two years. Yeah, wait for you to come back. I don't think so. Yeah, that's why I need a Kyrgyz wife. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm like honey, I'm going to shoot a project. She'll be like, how long I'm back? Like, Three months. She'll be like, oh, okay, no problem. Yeah, that's fine. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, seeing how uh, these younger people are coping with it um, and what their feelings are about it, and at the same time spending more uh, more time with the uh, older people in the village um, who don't have, you know, the 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 young people who are in their prime to help them. With the day to day things, to help them with the livestock or to help them, you know, uh, fix the roof or uh, whatever, all the little things that need to be done. You know, they, they, you go to these villages and it's really old people and it's really young people, but people in their 20s and 30s, few and far between. That's pretty typical in these
0: villages. Yeah. Sort of yeah. Just dying out of the landscape, like yeah. depopulating the rural communities just through the necessity of the, modern world i suppose you
1: gotta participate in the cash economy eventually but
0: wow luke yeah i i can't wait to see what you (laughs) i can't wait to see what you come back with it's uh it's been so good to spend time with you in the last couple of days i've learned so much and uh i'm really excited about this project and other stuff that we've been talking about for this year and next year and a, a life hopefully filled with adventure ahead because we're a long time dead yeah, dude it's it's been
1: uh, I mean it's been absolute pleasure coming here. Uh, I thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. And it's you know it's very special to meet some of your like, we're kindred spirits. Man. I think I think we might absolutely be. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um, but we're yeah we're the the same cut of cloth definitely yeah. um, and lovely meeting your parents too.
0: Yeah. I I I always um, I always try and bring my friends who come and visit me from different parts of the world to my parents' house. Yeah. yeah for at least one dinner. People. That's like, yeah. that's that's the standard format. I'll, I'll take them there. It's like, oh, you're meeting so-and-so this week. <laughs> um, or, or are you around this weekend? Because whoever it is is is, is coming and visiting and passing through. Uh, no one's ever been passing through and going to Kyrgyzstan before. You're the first. Um, <laughs> can we have dinner at your house, please? <laughs> <laughs> Normally tied into going hunting because the hunting is near their house. So it works kind of well. Uh, But no, it's been awesome to have you here and hopefully we can work it out so that when you're coming back through, you can stop through and then we can podcast again. Failing that, I'm going to see you in the US towards the end of the year so we can do a follow-up on this conversation. Or
1: potentially, spoiler alert. I wasn't
0: going to say it, but But potentially we could record in Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. We need to try and work that out. Work that out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Luke, thank you. Um, We've got a very important uh, appointment finishing the end of the film. We do, which I think you. Since I've mentioned it now twice, I think you need to. Since you've told me that everybody (laughs) needs to watch this, what is it?
1: Well, everybody needs to watch Princess Mononoke.
0: Okay, which it was. It's on Netflix, wasn't it? Yeah, that's where we're watching it. Yeah, it was on Netflix. Okay.
1: Yeah, beautiful animated film uh, which teaches you how to live right.
0: Just go and do it, everybody, and and then give me feedback on the podcast. It's, it's two hours. It's long. It's like it's a, it's a commitment. If you I, if you watch one movie in your life, do it that do that one. Yeah, <laughs> I was so it was so um, embedded in my mind when I went to sleep last night because we didn't finish it in one sitting that uh, I dreamt anime. So it's magical. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Luke. Cheers.